Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Packaging Europe podcast. My name is Elizabeth Schooler. So, uh, Unesta Soft Drinks Europe uh, represents the interests of consumers and producers of non-alcoholic beverages across Europe and also set itself uh, ambitious sustainability targets. A year ago, the association launched its Circular Packaging Vision 2030. And um, I was wondering, one year on, have these goals moved any closer? So um, with me today to discuss the state of the um, drinks market and drinks packaging market, as well as um, plans and goals for the future, is Nesta's uh, Director General, Nicholas Hodach. So um, yeah, welcome, Nicholas. Thank you very much for, for being here today. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you and uh, with all the listeners of Packaging Europe. Um, so yeah, for the benefits of our listeners who may not be uh, so familiar with UNESTA, um, could you tell me a bit more about the association and its uh, mission? Thank you. So UNESTA Soft Drinks Europe uh, represents the European soft drinks industry with uh, two types of uh, memberships. Uh, we have corporate members uh, with companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Refresco, Suntory, Red Bull, etc., and we also have national associations that are a member of UNESDA. Um, every country around Europe has a, uh, a beverage association, and uh, almost all of these are, are a member of, uh, of UNESDA. And the, uh, the mission of uh, UNESDA is to represent uh, the interests of our, of our members, um, and we mainly focus on two types of issues, uh, sustainability uh, of our packaging, and uh, obviously the health and nutrition of our drinks. Great, and uh, yeah, today we'll focus um, a bit on on the on the packaging side of things, and I'm yeah looking forward to to hearing a bit more about that. So I was wondering, how would you describe the state um, of the drinks packaging market right now with regards to um, sustainability and maybe also packaging materials used? I would like to start with a with a very positive and an optimistic view, which is that it's a, it's a very exciting environment to be in because uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, investments uh, towards moving uh, our packaging to being fully circular. So it's it's exciting from a business perspective uh, to be investing in sustainability to such an extent, but it's also very exciting for consumers because consumers will you know going forward. Uh, be using packaging which will truly be fully circular. But I must say that it's also very challenging. Um, and um, we are in a, in a situation whereby obviously uh, there are concerns about waste. Um, and so lots of pressure on, uh, on uh, improving the collection rates of our packaging. Uh, we also are facing uh, several uh, mandatory targets on, on using recycled content, uh, which we have to uh, comply with. And in a, a very difficult business environment, um, not necessarily uh, just because of the, uh, the COVID situation, but because of a situation whereby um, the prices of um, uh, recycled content material is higher than virgin material. So that's obviously putting lots of pressure on, the, um, on our goals to, uh, to achieve uh, full sustainability. Mm, yes, I've heard that said before that the price difference uh, that actually recycled is more expensive is um, is causing some challenges. So yeah, I was wondering, obviously UNESCO sets itself ambitious packaging sustainability targets. And I was wondering, could you talk us through the aims, um, all these targets for 2025 and 2030? We are um, 
we, when we a year ago embarked on this new journey, uh, a, a brave new chapter uh, for our industry, the goal for us was to make a very clear commitment, a very clear commitment that we are of the clear view and opinion that our packaging is a valuable resource um, and it should never be wasted. Now, with that in mind, we, we launched our vision for circular packaging by 2030, which is uh, around three pillars. The first one, obviously, if you want packaging to be circular, it needs to be recyclable. So we have set the goal of achieving 100% recyclability of our packaging by 2025. Secondly, um, to avoid it becoming a waste, you have to improve collection. So we have set a goal of achieving over 90% collection of all of our packaging by 2030. Not just plastic bottles, as is required by uh, EU law, but also aluminium cans and glass bottles. And then thirdly, we are also making a commitment to increase the use of recycled content, uh, going well beyond uh, EU legislation. So we have committed to do 50% of recycled content in PET bottles by 2025 and are aiming to achieve 100% of recycled content material in 2030, which obviously goes well beyond uh, the target set out by law. And then finally, uh, the important pillar of reducing and reusing, uh, we have made a commitment to increase the share of refillable packaging and reusable packaging. And in order to guide us on this final journey, uh, we are currently finalizing studies on the economic cost and the environmental impact of increasing the share of reusable packaging. Mm, great. Yeah, we've um, heard quite a lot about reusable packaging. Um, I've heard quite a lot about it in recent podcasts and um, other interviews. So it will be um, really interesting to see how this um, develops as well. I was wondering, obviously, 2025 and 2030 is still a little way off. How far along are you or your members at the moment towards in this um, journey towards your goals? I can you know, say for sure that they are not waiting till the last minute. I mean, they are clearly taking these commitments um, hands-on and already today are making very positive progress towards these. And just to give you a few examples, um, increasing collection rates around Europe uh, very recently, uh, Latvia and Slovakia have introduced uh, new deposit return schemes. Um, you know, and these deposit return schemes exist thanks to the investments and the commitments of our uh, of our members, hmm. um, and they are obviously uh, they are investing and, and making sure that we will have more deposit return schemes around Europe uh, very quickly, so that we can achieve this the ninety percent collection target uh, before uh, two thousand twenty nine two thousand thirty. Hmm. Um, reusable packaging, um, they're you know they also here. Uh, we have we are seeing the uh, the commitments and the announcements by. Uh, uh, by our members, for instance, Coca-Cola uh, committing to achieve 25% reusable packaging by 2030, the investments that we see from Pepsi with SodaStream, and many of my other members who, um, who are also investing already today in reusable packaging. And then finally, when it comes to recycled content, um, yes, we had uh, announced uh, to achieve 50% uh, recycled content by 2025, and we still have a long way to go, but 
already today uh, in several countries around Europe, um, our members um, are bringing to the market bottles made out of 100% recycled content. Mm. So clearly the journey has started and uh, we are driving it full steam ahead. Mm. Great. And um, yeah, you mentioned deposit return schemes. Um, what are the challenges there or what are the barriers to setting them up? And how would you say can this be um, boosted more in various countries that maybe don't have them at the moment? Yeah. So, um, first of all, I think, I mean, our view is very clear that we see a significant role for deposit return schemes around Europe. Unfortunately, today, uh, many countries um, have uh, very low collection rates um, and it, it shows that something needs to be done uh, and um, that requires not just small changes but in, in in many cases it will require a significant change and that means jumping on on another collection scheme um, which is a deposit return scheme so we are clearly in favor of a, a, a wider rollout of deposit return schemes around around europe because if you want to achieve the 90% targets, and actually by EU law, you already have to achieve 77% collection of PET bottles by 2025, this will not be possible without deposit return schemes in, in, in several countries. Now, the barriers, I would say, are twofold. First, obviously, there is a significant investment barrier. Um, these come with a high cost, uh, including such a schemes. We, as the um, obliged industry are, are you know, making uh, big investments uh, to, to make this possible. Um, so there is a significant uh, investment uh, that, is, that is required from our industry. But secondly, um, something that has also proven to be very challenging is that there is a, a lack of guidance at European level on how such a scheme should be developed. So we are working nationally uh, with stakeholders to develop, you know, well-designed schemes. But because of a lack of guidance, um, it's, it's, it's making our work more challenging. Um, and so, so this is clearly something that, you know, we hope to, to be able to address somehow. Hmm. And I guess this also ties in with um, different collection models for, for packaging waste. How do you think those can be improved? Because I think in a way they work well, but obviously there's a lot of room for for improvement still there so um so when you look at um, existing um you know epr scheme extended producer responsibility schemes traditional the traditional blue bags for instance different bag schemes that we have uh, around europe i think i mean it, it is clear that there you know belgium for instance is one of the only countries or one of the few countries where the scheme really works well when it comes to collection of of uh, to collection with very high weights um the other schemes around europe have very mixed um collection rates and i think we have come to the conclusion that if we are to meet um our our collection targets at european level tweaking some of these systems will not be sufficient and that in some countries, clearly a deposit return scheme will be uh, will be will be necessary. And fortunately, we have seen in the large majority of countries that have a deposit return scheme that they are well designed, they work well, and that they achieve uh, very good results. We have seen a few schemes where clearly there is some uh, 
improvements that will be needed. Uh, most notably, um, you know, one of the uh, the schemes where we have some questions about is the uh, is in the Netherlands, with um, uh, the announcement for the extension of uh, deposit return schemes to um, for aluminium cans, which we very much support. Mm -hmm. But here, um, the, the the collection itself uh, will be done uh, not within the supermarkets, but outside of the supermarkets. And so mm -hmm. we have question marks on whether or not this will be a efficient, uh, an efficient way of collecting to achieve these targets. Mm -hmm. so, so there are a few areas where we would recommend um, certain, uh, certain improvements. Mm. And I was also wondering, um, is there anything that could be done from a legislative point of view to, um, to improve the situation overall across the EU or in individual countries? Clearly, um, it's it's maybe not very often that that industry calls for legislation, but but here it is clearly needed. Um, we believe that at uh, at European level, uh, through uh, you know pieces of legislation such as the uh, the, the so-called packaging and packaging waste directive, uh, which will be uh, presented in a few months, there is an opportunity to present minimum requirements, minimum requirements for such deposit return schemes. Uh, this is something that we are advocating for together with our friends within the NGO community, uh, Zero Waste Europe, uh, maybe a, an unusual partnership, uh, but uh, clearly, you know, we have come together because we see the added value of such schemes and the need to introduce such minimum requirements. So we are asking for uh, the European Commission to intervene and develop such a minimum requirements. Mm, definitely um, would help a lot, wouldn't it? Yes. So um, I was wondering, sort of, you've um, hinted at these things before, but how, what would you say are the barriers to fully closing the loop when it comes to um, PET packaging and how can these barriers be overcome? I think the, um, one of the, the main challenges and a, a fairly you know, simple challenge, if I can say like that, is that there is actually no mechanism or legal framework today that requires you to keep the loop closed. So there is no obligation to, to keep the loop closed. And so what happens is that, you know, therefore we do indeed find um, our bottles back in um, textile, in toys, in, um, in automotive, in tires, and we are of the opinion that that's not the best use of our bottles. So what we are calling for here is actually a legal framework, a legal framework which will um, close the loop and which will offer the opportunity to those within the loop, so in this case, the beverage producers, the opportunity to buy back the recycled content um, as a prior, as, you know, as a right of first refusal, as we call it. And obviously, if 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 we do not know do not need it, then it can be sold in, into the uh, into the free market. But given that we are the obliged industry and we are the ones investing also in the collection schemes, we believe that it's only normal that we um, receive you know the first uh, the first opportunity to uh, to buy back these these schemes these bottles. Mm. And an additional reason why we believe this is important is that it is the only way that it's, it sends an incentive to other products that they have also to invest in collection and recycling for themselves. Mm. Because circularity is defined by reusing, by collecting your product and reusing them. Mm. It is not defined 
by using the products of another loop. And mm. so we think that doing some doing this will, will, will send a, a very strong signal to others that they have to invest also in circularity. Mm, definitely, yes. And um, obviously, beverage packaging is not just PET. There's also um, glass or metal. Um, what are your thoughts on using those maybe more to replace PET as a circularity? Or, or is that does the, do those come with their own problems when it comes to um, closing the loop? The, um, so the, the way we look at it is that, you know, we, every packaging has a role to play. Um, and uh, we do not see it as a competition between one or the other, um, you know, depending on the type of consumption um, experience that you are having, you know, a, a glass uh, bottle uh, will be more convenient um, than, a, than a plastic bottle. In other cases, an aluminium can uh, will be more convenient. And so we see that, you know, our consumers are, you know, um, are, are asking for different types of packaging. What is important for us is to make sure that each packaging individually achieves circularity. Um, so it's not a question about um, playing one against the other, but it really is a question about making sure that when they are used individually, that they are done in the uh, most environmentally friendly way um, so that you know the uh, the environmental footprint on our uh, on the environment is uh, is always as low as possible. Mm. And um, yeah, in conclusion, I was wondering um, what would an ideal beverage packaging world look look like for you, if there is such a thing. <laughs> I am confident there is such a thing. I am confident that um, actually the uh, the vision that we have set out will will get us there because. If you take a step back and, 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 and just think about the notion of sustainability and circularity, in, in, in a couple of years of now, from now, we will have a product which is 100% recyclable, which is more than 90% collected, and which is made out of 100% recycled content. I think that's the definition itself of circularity. Hmm. And so, you know, That is the ideal packaging that we are uh, working towards. And I'm confident that we, uh, that we can get there. Mm, great. Yeah, that would, be, uh, that would be fantastic. Hopefully, um, in a few years, we'll be there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, great. That, um, that brings us to the end of uh, today's podcast. And that just leaves me to say thank you very much, Nicholas, for, for being here today. Thank you, Elizabeth. It was a real pleasure. And uh, I hope our listeners will find it also interesting. Great. Thank you. And uh, yeah, to our listeners, thank you very much for, uh, for listening. And make sure you subscribe to our podcast. And there's one, a new episode coming out at least once a month. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.